0: Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Music that Aaron just played, particularly the meditation of a soul's desire for Jesus is a fitting, fitting introduction to where we're going to turn our attention this morning. Psalm 23. One of the most famous passages in all of Scripture perhaps the most famous. It has been the subject of numerous musical compositions. Even I discovered on the internet a surprising list of recent popular songs. It adorns artwork in homes, is recited as a children's prayer before bedtime. It is the prominent Bible passage in funeral homes across the United States. It is used to provide comfort for both unbelievers and Christians in those settings it is a frequented passage at the bedside of the ailing and for believers that are on the doorstep of heaven for many of us this passage is part of our psyche it's just sort of embedded in our life experience the imagery used by the psalmist lends itself to this sort of wide acceptance it's a pastoral scene on the surface it's unimposing and quiet during times of mourning even the hardened sinner struggles to be put off by the vision of the gentle God portrayed in its lines this popular acceptance of Psalm 23 is not all bad however if we aren't careful the general familiarity with it begins to seep into our understanding and it can almost be a, a an accidental indifference to its content. You start to hear it read or you see the first lines on the needlepoint in someone's house and you kind of, ah, yeah, I know that one. Obviously, it's Psalm 23. When that occurs, it's to our detriment. It's to our detriment. The, the, The lines penned by David canonized in Scripture, these inspired lines Not inspired because of their quality, inspired by the Spirit of God. They're a treasure. They're an absolute treasure for the people of God. My hope this morning is that you will take a fresh look with me at this passage and that the Lord will cause it to be a word in season for your soul, comfort for sorrow. Refreshment for weariness. Perhaps a theological correction for an imbalanced view of God. Just confidence for your everyday walk of faith. Please follow along as I read Psalm 23 from the New American Standard. A Psalm of David the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord Forever. This psalm primarily is a reflection of David's personal relationship with the Lord. Throughout its poetry, protection and provision are are found as these elements of the Lord's care for David. It is intimate, it is warm. And through the metaphor of a shepherd and his sheep and a host and his guest, the psalmist portrays his own confidence in, his his trust and his reliance on the Lord. There is a tenderness to this psalm, a sweetness to the care that is illustrated. The Lord in communicating this way to us has condescended from lofty heights, given us a picture that we can readily understand, that we can enter into and worship him in response of, and be comforted. David uses two metaphors in this poem, and they're gonna serve as our outline as we look at this this morning. We wanna see two portraits of God's gracious care of his people, Two portraits of God's gracious care of his people. The first portrait occurs in verses one through four, and the second portrait, the, the metaphor shift, occurs in verses five and six. So in verses one through four, we're gonna see God's shepherding care. Quite simply, God's shepherding care. The psalmist is reflecting his relationship with Almighty God, And he takes the perspective of a sheep. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And if we just at the outset sort of shake off our familiarity with this text, that is an astonishing statement. The Lord, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, the great I am, the Lord of hosts, He who declared the ending from the beginning is stated at the outset of this reflection to be a shepherd. This is not the only place God is referred to as a shepherd. Terminology, that picture is used in other portions of scripture in the Old Testament such as Psalm 95. It's an incredible picture. And notice, don't skip past the personal nature of David's claim it's not simply the Lord is a shepherd in abstract or the Lord is a shepherd for his covenant people, although that's true. He says the Lord is my shepherd. And before we move on further and look at the richness here, we, this is the right time to ask, do we get to say this with David? And the answer is yes. The answer is absolutely we get to say this with David. Because the shepherd title is given to Jesus in the New Testament. He self-declares to be the good shepherd. Hebrews 13, 20, 1 Peter 2 and 5 and Revelation 7 all refer to Jesus Christ, the one through whom and by whom and for whom we've been saved. He's referred to as our shepherd. So believers, Christians are the sheep of the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And so we can... Say with David, the Lord is my shepherd, if you're in Christ. And the scriptures often use figures of speech, especially in poetry, like metaphor to communicate truth. And in this psalm, this this metaphor is given. We have to ask, why? What's the point? I mean, the truth that's contained here, we could apprehend a different way. But in the wisdom of God, through David's beautiful poetic ability... We have it contained for us this way, to open our eyes, to to help us think about God in a fresh way, in a particular way, in a way that's vivid, that engages our imagination. And so to do that, to fully appreciate what the Lord has given to us here, we need to get our minds into the metaphor. We have to actually ask ourselves, think to ourselves, what was the role of a shepherd in the ancient Near East? David was a shepherd. We know that from the testimony of Scripture. He would not have needed anybody to explain to him what was meant when he said, The Lord is a shepherd, and he's my shepherd. His mind was full of an understanding of shepherding that informed the the worship, the meditation, and his thanksgiving in this psalm. And so we want to at least try to get get a glimpse into our mind's eye of what it means that the Lord is a shepherd, well, as many of you i trust know because of its you know just the repeated theme and motif of sheep and shepherd in the scriptures shepherds were responsible for the physical welfare and the survival of their own or their master's flocks sheep were absolutely dependent on their sh- on their shepherds without a shepherd sheep were ultimately helpless they had little to no chance of survival The duties of a shepherd are are many. Shepherds were responsible for guiding, feeding, watering, leading, watching over, caring for, seeking out, rescuing, and gathering the flock. They were called to bring back the strayed, bind up the crippled, strengthen the weak. Sometimes they carried lambs. Sheep are not intelligent, they're not self-sufficient, and as a result, they were unable to find what they need on their own when they were in difficult environments. They required a caring and capable shepherd to guide them to sustenance. Since sheep tended to wander, a concerned shepherd, a, a faithful shepherd, was required to search them out, bring them back to the fold, when they were lost, or when something had upset the flock and they had scattered. A sheep's lack of any natural defensive ability left it susceptible to the attacks of predators. Protection was critically important for a sheep. Good shepherds strengthened sick sheep, healed diseased sheep, bound up broken sheep. They were gentle and tender not severe and dominating. And so when we enter into David's metaphor and read the words, the Lord is my shepherd, this comprehensive picture of the relationship between faithful shepherds and their sheep needs to be in our vision, needs to be in our imagination. It is a loaded, powerful illustration. It's intended to evoke an emotional response from us, to see the tenderness, the care, in every avenue of a shepherd's responsibility, it is good to sit back, take a breath, and say, I'm a sheep. I'm nothing but a sheep. I need the Lord, and He is my shepherd. David's declaration. Of the Lord's shepherding care, then leads him to say something else. It's equally astonishing, and that is, "I shall not want." A consequence of the fact that the Lord is David's shepherd leads David to reflect and say, "I shall not want." That's better understood that phrase as, "I lack nothing." I lack nothing. It doesn't. It doesn't mean like, "I shall not want." I. I don't desire anything. It doesn't. It's not like when we say, ah, "I don't want anything." I have what I need. I'm, I'm good. It, it's not that. He's, he's saying, I lack nothing. I have no lack. As a characteristic of my life, with the Lord as my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Lord's provision for his sheep is sufficient, is sufficient. And within this metaphor, as we'll see in verses 2 and 3 and even in four, 4, the, the primary primary view is that it's, it's physical provision, of course. Sheep need physical provision, but the language in the psalm progresses, and spiritual provision is in mind as well. He restores life. In the New Testament, we are given these same promises. We can. Jesus and the writers of the New Testament tell us that we're to have the same confidence to recognize that with God is our shepherd with the Lord Jesus and all that we've received through him. We truly lack nothing. On the physical side, think of Matthew 6 where Jesus tells the disciples they don't need to be worried about their lives. The Lord will give them what they need. He knows. Your heavenly father knows what you need, he told them. Even more profound on the spiritual provision side, Ephesians 1 says that those in Christ have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, Peter adds that everything pertaining to life and godliness has been provided to us. If you're in Christ, you lack nothing. And Do we, do we believe that? Do we, do we let our... Our minds, our emotions, our thoughts, our fears run wild. Or are they, they hemmed in by this reality? It's so easy to be self-focused. we so concerned with the affairs of life that that truth is denied. And David says, if the Lord is your shepherd, you lack nothing. Not you will lack nothing someday. You have no lack. You have no lack. That is certainly certainly an affirmation of the Lord's sufficiency for those who are in Christ. That testimony is throughout scripture. So David is utterly content with the status that he enjoys as a sheep in God's fold. The beginning verse kind of provides an umbrella that encapsulates these other verses that are gonna lay forth and, and illustrate the provision that the Lord, the faithful shepherd, has given to his sheep. David lacks nothing, he's utterly content, And now that's going to be illustrated in verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures pictures lush grazing land. Lush grazing land. Good shepherds led their sheep to pastures where they would find nourishment. A good shepherd wouldn't allow for his sheep to just eat scrub brush or munch on the weeds left by other better fed flocks. A good shepherd nourished his sheep but note that sheep don't eat laying down. So the metaphor isn't simply food. It's contentment, having been nourished. It's well-being, welfare. The phrase he makes me, makes it sound, as like this psalmist is saying, the Lord forces me to lay down in green pastures against my will. That's really not what's in view. It implies that the provision of the good shepherd allows the sheep, to lie down. They've been well-fed. They're secure. Their needs are met. And so they rest. They've been nourished. Sheep that have been led to lush grazing lands, they're confident, they're secure, and they're content. And so verse two begins with this overall picture of welfare, contentedness, and satisfaction with the shepherd's provision. As he moves on to the next line in verse two, he enlarges the scene beyond the grazing fields and now to a place of refreshment. They've been well-nourished. The good shepherd causes his sheep, allows his sheep, cares for his sheep in such a way that they lie down in green pastures. He also leads David. He leads me beside quiet waters. Quiet waters is often understood to refer to stillness, still waters, in contrast to turbulent, raging torrent and stream, and that's true, that's in view. A sheep couldn't drink safely from a raging river, but all still water would not be adequate. Stagnant, turbid pools, muddy pools along the way, along a path, little puddles of water that may be still that other sheep have passed through that they've tainted those wouldn't be ad- adequate for the sheep not for the sheep of a faithful shepherd so the good shepherd leads his sheep to refreshing waters waters of refreshment the picture of water it's more than a thirst quencher in other words it's it's refreshing there's there's the coolness, the cleansing that comes with water. It's renewing, it's reviving. Sheep would have their wounds washed. The, the gritty sand released from their feet. The dirt cleansed from their legs. They didn't find these locations on their own. The good shepherd led them there. David says, my shepherd leads me to places of refreshment. He leads me where I can be revived he leads me where I can be cleansed. So moving from verse two into verse three, he, the psalmist David, adds more brush strokes to this portrait, still though focused on God's shepherding care. The Lord's sheep are well nourished. And they're refreshed. And then he goes on to, to portray God as a nurturing shepherd. A nurturing shepherd. David writes, "He restores my soul." Restore in verse three is the same terminology that another context is is used to refer to repentance, a a turning back. Here, refers to restoration, renewal, It's to, to bring something back to its state of vitality. It's to turn something back to a state in which it was prior to. Perhaps something occurring. Soul can just as readily be translated life or me. He restores my life, my strength. He restores me. Within the metaphor, it pictures the sheep nurturing and tending sheep, the shepherd nurturing and tending sheep that needed to be revived, that needed to be restored. There's a phenomenon with sheep where they can be cast on their backs. They fall over. It can happen for a variety of reasons, but when they do, they're they're physically unable to get back up. They have to have help. And so a faithful shepherd would seek out the sheep, find the sheep in distress, turn it over, hold it upright, massage the legs to return circulation keep the sheep stable until it was able to proceed on the path with renewed strength also the shepherd was required to mend wounded sheep if something had happened a sheep sheep had a wound from, from falling or from a thwarted attack it would need to be mended restored by the shepherd This is a sweet picture full of grace, full of comfort, full of grace and assurance for God's people. That God is a caretaker of your soul if you're in Christ. He is one who revives, who restores the ailing soul. The one who is disturbed, wayward, disquieted, weak spiritually, ailing A heart that needs mending. David uses this illustration to show that his faithful shepherd was one who would return him to a state of spiritual vitality, to a state of revived spiritual affections, spiritual health. It's just, it's such a plain and simple message for us, but one that we need to hear. You're not on your own. We're not on our own in the Christian life. And we're not just left with other sheep. We have a shepherd, a caring, nurturing, grace-filled, merciful shepherd that is interested in your soul and provides spiritual nurture So that you survive. So that I survive. He applies the care that we need in reviving his sheep. That's the understanding. So these first three verses are primarily demonstrating the shepherd's provision. The shepherd's provision. And it's so complete that as we said, David says, I lack nothing. He restores my soul. He leads me to nourishing pasture land. He leads me to reviving waters. And to sort of step out of the metaphor, we have to ask, where do we find this? Where do you find this? Where do we go to find the nourishment, the refreshment, the restoration that we need. And the obvious answer is that we cannot find any of these things apart from God any more than a sheep could have apart from his faithful shepherd. And we settle. Often, often we settle. We settle for those things that absolutely cannot satisfy We settle for things that cannot provide nourishment, that cannot provide refreshment, that cannot provide reviving. When the God who cares for us, when the God who has called us to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ has led us to what we need. Fads, evangelical fads, trends, theological, theologically shallow, sort of quick fix me up, Spiritual rejuvenators is barren. They turn out to be barren pasture, dirty water. They're not what we're looking for. They leave us hungry, dry, parched, in need of God's care, protection, nourishment, and he's given us those things. He's given us the means of grace by which we find the things that David says his shepherd provides. He gives us communion with him in prayer. He gives us meditation on his word. The same word and then some that David says he meditates on. Day and night. He gives us the worship of God and the communion of fellowship around God that we enjoy in the church. To say that that I want nourishment, I want refreshment, I want the Lord to restore my soul while denying the very means of grace that he's provided for us is to be a foolish sheep who is led with care and kindness to those things that God knows we need. We must avail ourselves of these things. We must avail ourselves of what God has provided for us, what he has promised to work through and in. Where he has promised we would be rejuvenated and avoid wandering to worthless pastures for our own choosing that cannot satisfy. The remainder of verse three, moving from his provision that starts to, picture still the shepherd metaphor but now God is, is guiding now the shepherd's guidance is in view and what's interesting is his guidance of the sheep is concerned with his own reputation he guides his sheep carefully for the sake of his own reputation verse three he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Within the metaphor, paths of righteousness is just right paths. Right paths instead of wrong paths. The faithful shepherd led the sheep where they needed to go, right? Well-worn paths. A wise shepherd knew where he needed to take his sheep. The best path to, to the good pasture land. The best path to the good nourishing watering hole. On their own, sheep are prone to wander. And so the good shepherd guides them in the right path. Out of the metaphor, the path that the Lord directs and guides his sheep in is a righteous path. It's the right path, but because it's God's will, God's desire, it's also righteous. There's an ethical quality about it. The paths that God leads us down are the right ones, and they're righteous because he's at the helm. The psalmist said, teach me your ways that I may walk in your truth. God's paths are righteous paths. And importantly, at the end of verse three, he provides the reason for this careful guidance. And it's somewhat surprising. It's it's his own reputation. It's his own reputation. He leads, he guides the sheep in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. If a shepherd failed to lead his sheep well, he wouldn't be hired anywhere else. If the shepherd lost the sheep was... Directing them on bad paths that resulted in their harm and danger, his reputation as a faithful shepherd would suffer. In our lives and in the life of David, God's concern for him is ultimately for the sake of his own glory. He is concerned for the sheep, he's concerned for his children guiding them carefully along the paths that he's laid out the righteous paths for his own glory and ultimately that is that is a greater assurance a greater comfort than we often know Ephesians 1 proclaims the reality right that that God saves to the praise of the glory of his grace salvation is for his glory Obviously, we benefit. Obviously, God loves those whom he's called, whom He saved. That's, that's all true. Ephesians is the ultimate reason that God does a saving work is for his, his glory. He saves that he would be glorified. Just imagine if the shepherd left the sheep to their own. The shepherd gathers the sheep to the fold and then said, okay, figure it out. And the sheep go astray inevitably. What would that say about the shepherd? His reputation would be ruined. There would be no credibility for his shepherding care. No praise amongst others for how he cared for the sheep. The sheep would go astray. There's no honor for a shepherd if the sheep are scattered. And so God's intense concern for his own glory... His intense concern that his name would be magnified overflows into intense concern for the guidance of his people. As Christians, we can sooner say, I'm on my own. Woe is me, I'm on my own. There's no one to guide me. We can say that when we can say, God's unconcerned about his glory. God's not jealous for his name's sake, God doesn't care if his name is praised. The assurance of God's people is that he will not fail. The good shepherd won't fail. He guides the sheep down the right paths for his namesake. The same way, God will not fail to do what he's promised to do for his children because his glory is at stake. And he is ferociously concerned with his own glory. Abundantly concerned with his own glory. And if he was anything other, he would be less than God. So, still in the sheep shepherd metaphor, verse four. Now we see a protective and comforting shepherd that is near, close, at hand with his sheep. Notice as we read verse four that David shifts his speech and now he's addressing God directly. Before it was he, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me for his name's sake. And now it's you, directly, personal. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For the first time in the psalm, trouble and difficulty have entered. The right path goes through a dark valley. The right path at the shepherd's guidance traverses a deep ravine. Shadow of death can be understood as deep darkness. The understanding is that the valley's dangerous. It's dark. It could certainly include death. It could certainly include danger that would risk a sheep's life. But the image in verse four probably is not only death. David would have been intimately acquainted with the difficult terrain of Israel. He would have known the deep valleys and the potential for lost or harmed sheep in the midst of them as you're leading down the right path, taking your sheep to where they need to be fed and watered. The evil... That David doesn't fear in the metaphor would be anything that would cause the sheep harm: predators, prey, robbers, difficult terrain, things that are just difficult to navigate, the potential for attack. So it's a picture of vulnerability. And the sheep isn't comforted because of his own ability. The sheep isn't comforted because of his own prowess. He's not looking at the other sheep saying, I've I've done this before. I've been here before. I got this. It's the shepherd. Again, the shepherd. The reason that the sheep doesn't fear evil is because of the shepherd's presence. The shepherd's presence. The circumstances in this picture are dangerous and yet fear gives way to confidence. Because of the shepherd. The the nearness, the nearness of God is what stabilizes the sheep. David's line is precious. He fears no evil for you, he says to God. For you, he says to his shepherd. You're with me. You are with me. Such profound comfort in such a simple statement. The believer can say, God, you are with me. I don't fear. I'm not afraid of the difficulties that your path has led me through and is leading me through. You're with me. This isn't simply a function of God's omnipresence, right? He's everywhere. He's with everybody. Yes, he's omnipresent, but this is intimate, personal relationship. As a shepherd was close to his sheep to keep them from being scared, God is with his people. Yes, the Christian life is difficult at times. There's trial. It's heavy. There's struggle. There's toil. There's toil. There's failure. But it's difficult in the same way that it's difficult for a sheep to go through this deep, dark valley with his shepherd at hand. Not difficult in the same way as a sheep going through the valley alone with an unfaithful shepherd that's not with them. It makes all the difference in the world. It's not precarious because God isn't with us. It's a a difficult path, a difficult journey. And yet the shepherd is there. The shepherd's presence makes all the difference. He rounds out this shepherding metaphor by saying that your rod and your staff comfort me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. This is guidance and protection. Guidance and protection. The rod would have been used primarily as a defensive weapon to protect the sheep from intruders, from harm, from predators from robbers and the staff or the shepherd's crook would have been used for stability for the shepherd and then also to tend his sheep it was the implement used to control the sheep could be a gentle nudge could be a smack on the back leg could be the hook pulling a sheep back in line the psalmist says that those implements wielded in the skill for skillful hands of his faithful shepherd brought comfort God's care brings comfort. And since we started this psalm, some of you may have been counting down the moments until I read John 10. Your wait is over. Concluding the look at God's guidance as a shepherd, as one who protects his sheep, brings to mind the unforgettable words of Jesus in John 10. He says this, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own. My own know me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Christian, it is an amazing grace that you can sit where you do and say confidently with David, the Lord is my shepherd. God Almighty The Lord Jesus Christ is my shepherd, my caretaker, the one who leads me, the one who nourishes me, the one who restores me. In verse 5, the metaphor shifts. David's no longer a sheep under the care of his shepherd. Now he's a guest under the secure care of his host. He's a guest under the secure care of his host, and this gives us our second portrait of God's gracious care, and that is God's hospitable care. The first four verses show God's shepherding care. Now we see God's hospitable care in verses five and six. David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. The scene is a feast, and the psalmist is the honored guest. He has status. The prepared table is a picture. It's it's a table full of food, full of drink. Every, Every need is met. And interestingly, the psalmist is not the only guest here, right? It's a banquet. And even his enemies are present. So the David is an honored guest, At his host's table, and he's enjoying what the Lord has provided right in front of his enemies. This is a picture of not only provision, but protection. The guest would have been protected by his host. In the ancient Near East, for for the host to have an honored guest and then not give them the protection that they need was unthinkable, it would have been a dishonor, a disgrace. The Lord is David's host. David is his honored guest at his table. His enemies are there too. He won't be harmed. Just think imagine you're, you're the guest of a king, you're the guest of a ruler at his banquet table, and your enemies are there too. They've also been invited, and you're the honored guest. You have little to fear. You're in good hands. With the host. As a gracious host, the, the Lord is shown to provide oil. You have anointed my head with oil. This is, this is ancient Near Eastern hospitality. Oil was provided to honored guests. We even see this in Jesus' life. Remember in Luke 7 when he enters in and he's being anointed, and, and the, the Pharisee is grumbling, and Jesus says, I entered your house and you gave me what? Neither water nor oil. You didn't treat me as an honored guest. That's the picture. The oil builds on the metaphor. The, the psalmist is being abundantly cared for. He's secure even in the presence of his enemies. And he is in an exalted position in the Lord's care. And the final line of verse 5 completes this picture. My cup overflows. David's satisfied All of the revision of his host has satisfied him. He has, once again, no lack. No lack. There's plenty of wine. David is filled by the Lord's generous hospitality. His portion in life is one of being satisfied. That's the picture. So the overall scene is one of status, status. It communicates to us that believers have been provided every security and provision by the Lord, similar to this provision that David's experienced at the hands of a gracious host. Think of Romans 8. What, shall, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Provision, protection. God is a gracious, gracious host who cares for his guests. As the psalm draws to a close, David focuses on the ever-present personal benefits of his relationship with the Lord. The benefits of his relationship with his shepherd He says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and loving kindness, the the loaded Hebrew term that we understand is grace and mercy and loyal love. Loving kindness, these attributes of the Lord, they're portrayed here as chasing David throughout his life. Not following behind at a distance. The term means to pursue He says these attributes of God, goodness and loving kindness, the goodness and favor of God, pursue God's children. They're always there. They're always on your heels. You're not out of reach of the Lord's care, and nothing can separate you from the pursuit of God. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's children are pursued by his grace and his love throughout their days. And the last line is an affirmation from David That his desire, through all he's considered of the Lord's care, his desire is to be in the Lord's presence in the place of worship. He says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord wouldn't have been the temple. It wasn't constructed yet. So it's probably God's, the place of God's earthly presence, perhaps the tent of meeting. forever is in parallel to the line above that says all the days of my life. David says, look, for as long as I'm on this earth, I want to be in the Lord's house in communion with him, in worship of him. His testimony is that, look, God's goodness, his loving kindness, his favor is pursuing me, has pursued me, and has led me to a place where I just wanna be with him. I just want to be near the Lord. I just want to be in the place of communion and fellowship and worship with my God. And these lines provide a fitting summary, really, to the whole psalm. Those who know God's care, those who know the sweetness of God's care, those who can testify that the Lord is a shepherd, as a shepherd to them, That the Lord is as a gracious, protecting host. You want to be with him. You want to be near him. Who wouldn't want this? Who wouldn't want God's care? David says, those things have pursued me. The only appropriate response is the pursuit of the Lord in worship. He had no desire to be a troublesome sheep, always on the run, instead of enjoying the Lord's shepherding care. He had no desire to be a dis, an ungrateful, dishonorable host, being unsatisfied with all that the Lord had given him. David wants to be near the Lord, he wants to be near his shepherd. If the words of this psalm, if the words of this psalm are your heart's cry, they resound in your soul this morning, rejoice. Rejoice. Thank God. Thank Almighty God for his care of you. Thank Almighty God that at this juncture in the path that he has you on, you're in a position to rejoice in the Lord's shepherding care. If you're with us this morning and you don't know Christ, you can't say this. You can't claim the Lord's care. This Psalm is not a comfort to those who don't know the Lord. It is used that way. But it's shallow, it can't comfort someone who doesn't know Christ. Hear these words if you don't know the Lord. Be wooed by this picture of God's care. Who wouldn't want this? Who wouldn't want God Almighty as their shepherd? You need a shepherd. You need one who will care for you. You need a host that will provide security for you. And some of you today, some Christians may be saying, I hear this. I hear it. I hear the words but I certainly don't feel it. My experience is nothing like this. I encourage you to invite the words of this psalm to upset your view of life. Allow the words of this psalm to collide with your current experience. You may be here this morning, you may say, I don't have anyone who cares for me. I don't have what I need. I'm unsatisfied. I'm broken. I'm restless. The word of God says, Christian, you have an unfailing shepherd who cares for you deeply. He has given you everything in giving his son. He provides all that you need to be satisfied. He protects you. He can provide refreshment and restoration for your soul. First Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls."